Morning, everyone. Yes, by the end of the weekend, you'll be more free like we are in Africa. <laughs> Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning in a, a world with a lot of noise. We, we speak out what the psalmist said um, as he described the whole world in uproar, nation against nation, mountains falling into the sea, uh, and then suddenly he stopped dead and he says, Be still and know that I'm God. This morning we sang so much about fear and anxiety. It's in our language, but yet we don't often speak about it. And we know that that's the topic that Jesus spoke the most about. And in John 14, he said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. If it was not enough place, I would have told you. So we're holding on to this incredible, beautiful promise. You've never once lied. Never once. All the prophecies came into fruition. And we know that we know that the Son of Man will come back on the clouds. And we will be your sons and your daughters. That final, final adoption. We sang this morning about breathing the air in heaven. How incredible, Lord. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, this morning. We need you. We need you to turn the, the Logos into Rhema. We need the Word to become alive in our spirits. We need each one of us need to receive what we need to. We need to eat from the bread of life. Jesus, your, your life is like the living manna. Help us to understand that incredible, deep love that you have for each one of us. It's so hard for us to understand it because our capacity to love is so limited, Lord. But I pray today that we'll have glimpses of your love, that you'll show us we open our hearts now this morning and we say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Yes, come this morning and come back. The whole of creation is groaning for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Oh, what a glorious day that's going to be, Lord. But from now until then, However long you take to, however long you tarry, we want to run faithful. We want to be beautiful feet. We want to speak life. We want to listen to those who are weary. We want to give of our hands. We want our eyes to see what you want us to see. So this morning I pray, Lord, take us deep into your heart. In Jesus' name. Amen.
We're going to do scripture a bit later on, so I'm not going to read scripture right in the beginning. As, as I was worshipping there with you, I, I was also so struck by the children's voices. I said to Karen, did you hear that? It was so amazing. It was really beautiful. You know, I truly believe I've been in places where I heard with my own ears the angels singing with us. There was one particular meeting that I had with a few African leaders. We were so desperate. We were in such agony and it was such a tough place. And we were, we chose to worship. We said, we're going to worship through the night. And I remember at one stage, I, I stopped and I looked around me and the people that I were with, none of them had particularly beautiful voices. <laughs> but man, I heard this incredible worship. At the end of the time that we were together, I went to Levy and I went to somebody else. I said, did you hear what I heard? And they looked at me shocked. They said, you know, we thought we were imagining us, ourselves. It was clear that there was somebody else worshipping with us. Guys, our God is alive. The angels are in our midst. Do you know that? <laughs> And, and so as I sat there this morning and um, we were worshipping, I went back to uh, Lohonga. It's a community in, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And when I was here the last time, I did what we call a Bible school. I took 23 church leaders from a certain area and I, I just gave them dedicated time. We sat down and we started digging into God's Word. Not one of them had one day formal training in their lives. Yet they're heading up churches. And, and, and I took the book and I said, let's start with Genesis. Why do we call it Genesis? Nobody could answer me. And I started saying to him, it means the beginning. And, and I went right into the beginning where there was dark and chaos and the Holy Spirit came and he hovered over darkness and chaos and he brought order. And I said to them, that same spirit is in our midst. And I want to tell you guys, you are highly educated, highly literate, and that's beautiful. But do you understand that that spirit is hovering over your chaos this morning? And he's saying, I want to bring beauty. I want to bring life. I want to bring order in your life. As we sang about God's creation this morning, we said, we sang about the stars and the, and the rising sun. And I mean, I love that. I love being in nature. I took my grandchildren into the desert. They were nine, seven and six, I think. And I went alone with them, like seriously in a desert. You know, we sat on a dune in the middle of the night. And the sun came over that moon. We could hear the hyenas and the wolves. And we sat there. I sat with these three boys. They started sitting there. Like later on, they were right on top of me. <laughs> and, the, and the stars, it felt like you could touch them. You know, in a desert, the stars, I mean, you can touch it. And I sat there with them and I started speaking to them about Jesus. And I said to them, 
Look how beautiful this is. The stars, the sun, that moon. It just as it worked. You know, God likes to brag. And, and he gave me the full moon came over that mountain. And I said to them, all of this is beautiful. But it's nothing in comparison with you. You are the crown of his creation. I want to tell you guys that this morning as we start. Yes, the mountains are beautiful. We look outside our window, there's a redwood tree which is going forever. But you are more beautiful, you are more amazing than anything in nature. You are the crown of his creation. And as we love watching the sun and the moon and the stars, God delights in watching us when we come to life, when we burst over that mountain, when we catch life and we grow. And so I want you to understand, you are the crown. <laughs> the other thought I just want to share quickly, then we've got to get going. As I worked with as church leaders, you know, and I've got the privilege, I mean it's a crazy privilege that I... I often meet people that have never been in a classroom in their lives. Never. And I sit with them and then it's like I say, okay God, where do I start? I mean, I can't say John 3.16. What, what's that? Where do I start? You know, it's, it's incredible. When you become, when you get to a place where you're so dependent on God that you've got nothing you can hang on to, no favorite verse, nothing. You've got to pour out and trust the Holy Spirit will turn into life. We call it holy home visits. And so, we, we start building bridges. Bridges between people and God. And bridges between people and people. We are called to be bridge builders. But here's the thing. I think it's a famous saying actually from the Marine Corps. We don't leave anyone behind. Right? And so when you build bridges... Do you build that bridge low enough that you don't leave anybody behind? And in a society where we are so, there's so much pressure on us to be intellectually equipped and to be able to speak everything in depth and to address complicated issues, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's good that we've got teachers in our midst that can unravel all the, the myths. But you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, even if you speak in tongues of angels and men, if you do not love, you are only a clanging symbol. Even if you've got the gift of prophecy and you can fathom, all mystery and knowledge. And you've got faith that can move mountains. If you do not have love, you are nothing. <laughs> nothing. You can know all the doctrines and you can know how to explain all the... If you do not have love, you are nothing. What is love? It's not, uh, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not self-seeking, it's not arrogant. It keeps no records of wrong. 
It always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. That's love. That's the things that we need to nurture. That's bridge building. That's the answers we need to give to people around us. That's the answers they're looking for. That will lead them to a place where they can be on solid food. But we need to learn how to build bridges that we don't leave anybody behind. Are we together? So in Jeremiah 24, yesterday we heard, I will give them a heart. Thank God it started with, I will give them. <laughs> I will give them a heart. And we sang so much about it this morning. But one of the things that, that we can take out of those words are that the prophet was also speaking about the Messiah coming. I will give them a heart. He was speaking into the future. He said, the time will come. And the disciple who Jesus loved, wouldn't you like that? If, <laughs> if the disciple whom Jesus loved, he wrote these words in 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. The Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. I love the translation that said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Now, you know, the love of the Father, John, obviously, when he speaks about this, it is like he's blown away by that. He said in amazement, because he even emphasize it by saying um, and so we are it's like do you get it we are children of God but the truth is in, in today among us it's not such a radical statement actually that the father loves us so why was it so radical why was John so blown away by this statement well, you know, in the Old Testament, the children from very young were taught how to address God, how to speak to God, how to worship God, and the one title that was missing was Father. There was no Father. So you can imagine when Jesus came, and in every single prayer but one, Every time Jesus prayed, he addressed God as Father. And that was the very thing that made the Pharisees so angry. That Jesus dared to call Yahweh Father. But Jesus brought that, and then, of course, when the disciples asked him, Teach us how to pray. It's the only thing they ever asked Jesus to teach them that we know of. Teach us how to pray. They must have watched his life, right? I wish we can talk a lot about that. Jesus going up to a place of solitude as was his custom. He was in a rhythm of prayer second to none. The Son of God understood. And the disciples said, Jesus taught us to pray. <laughs> what are the first 
two words Jesus told his disciples. Our Father. Earth-shaking, radical, new dispensation, new understanding. Two things, it's our. Okay? Remember last night we spoke about individualism. I love the worship songs that you guys worship, by the way. For me, worship words are very important. And I want to encourage you guys, be careful of any worship songs that's always about I, me, and you, mine, and I'm you. It, there's a place for that, maybe, but it's us, our God, our Father, our Kingdom. We are part of the, the body. It's our Father. And this was a huge step of Jesus' introduction of the Father. I just want to make a footnote here. I just thought to mention that. You know, Jesus said, we know Jesus came to, to bring salvation. We all understand that. But you know, Jesus made it very clear to his disciples also that he said, I've come to introduce the Father to you. So Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so, the way Jesus lives is very important for us to understand when we study God's Word. When Jesus did something, when Jesus walked for hours to meet with an ill-reputed woman in a no-go zone, okay, He did that to show us what kind of God of God is. So when you watch Jesus' life, Everything he does. He said, I only say what the Father tells me to say. We get to know not Jesus alone, but we get to know the Father. <laughs> and it's very important for us. And in this world that's so broken, now you can understand just why it's so important and how the evil one is always trying to break down the Father's. Because once, once somebody's got a negative view of a father, how do you even introduce this message? Do you know that the last prophecy in the Old Testament was? I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and children to the fathers, lest I strike the land of a curse. And then in Luke, I believe, uh, we read about John the Baptist, and it speaks about, I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the, the, hearts of the, fathers to the children. That's the very core of the message. It's a very cry. Jesus came to introduce us to this Father who loved us so much. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. He could have loved us and left us. I've got one son, Joshua. There's not a way I'll give him for any of you. It's not going to happen. I just don't love you guys that much. I don't. So, it's right that we put Jesus in a place of the price that he paid and that he was willing. And he made that choice. He said, I lay my, down, my life down. Nobody takes it from me. But, the Father was the one who sent him. Because of you, the crown of his creation. So in John 1 verse 10 to 13, we read these words. 
This is actually so painful for me to read this. Every time I read it, I feel actually a little bit ashamed on behalf of us as mankind. But John wrote in 1 John 10 verse 13, 10 to 13. John 1 verse 10 to 13. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Talking about Jesus, right? Yet the world did not know him. And then he came and said, He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. I mean, Jesus experienced that rejection from the very creation that he made. We know in Hebrews it also says, Jesus created. And then he came and we rejected him. The very people. But he made a promise, he said, but whoever believes in my name, you become mine, you become my children. That's why it's so important, friends. As a church, I want to encourage you guys. You don't ask somebody if you're a Christian, because it's got so many connotations to it, it actually means nothing anymore. You ask somebody if they died and they became alive in Christ. You ask somebody if they got to a place where they fell down and they were so overwhelmed by their sins that there was no way forward for them. And then that they received the blood of Jesus Christ and they were literally born again. When Christ came into my life, <laughs> the lady that, that the child cared for us went to Carolyn. <laughs> Two days later, I think, she said to Carolyn, you must take George to the doctor. <laughs> something, something radically changed in this guy. He's not the same person. I think he's very sick. <laughs> Friends, if, if, if the Spirit of God comes and he brings life to you, it's not like you have to tell anybody. My father was an alcoholic at that time. One of his drinking friends, I met them. I just walked into the room that man, half drunk as he sat there, he looked at me. You know, he used these words because he didn't know. He said to me, you became beautiful. <laughs> I said, I don't think you mean what you say. But I understand what you mean. You see something in me which wasn't there before. If you are truly born again, people will know. People at my work, wherever I went, I knew I was different. I was literally born again. Maybe some of us staying here this morning have actually never had that experience. We grew up in a church. Sometimes it's dangerous in the sense you grow up in a church, especially when we as parents just presume, well, if I go to Sunday school, somebody will ask them the question. It is when we are born again that we enter. We're going to talk a bit about that. So let me read to you from Romans 8. Verse 12 to 18. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery that you should return back to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself witness to our spirits that we are indeed children of God. And if children of God, heirs of God, and fellow heirs of Christ, if we suffer with Christ, so that we can be glorified with Christ. What incredible promise. Now, I'm going to just take a minute to explain to you something about adoption. And specifically while Paul used that word when he wrote to the Roman Empire. Because it wasn't a common word at that time. Or a common practice as we see it. Adopting orphans or doing that. But there was a, a kind of adoption that would happen in a Roman Empire. And that would be when maybe uh, a husband or wife never had any children, but they've got a, a huge estate. They've been doing very well in life. And then they prepare, who's going to get the estate? Who are we, who's going to inherit from us? And they would start what you call a process of adoption. They would even make it public and say, we, as this estate, would ask for applications. People can apply to see if they are good enough to become adopted so they could inherit this estate. And they would go through a, a big process where people will test and see, are you educated? How, how many plans? You know, everything. It's a very tough process. So eventually the day would come, we will where they would say, we have chosen the right person that we're going to adopt. It will be a huge, grand thing that will happen. And of course, it will be the best among the best. Now, can you see how Paul introduced, he built that bridge, and how he introduced adoption in the kingdom of God, the upside-down kingdom, where Paul say, you know, you were also adopted, but God didn't go through the process to see who's the best, who qualifies the most, who works the hardest. But he chose most properly the most unlikely, the weakest, the broken. And he adopts them. And that is such a powerful picture of the kingdom of God. We are living stones now. Once we've been adopted, now we are part of the Ecclesia. <clears throat> it's very important for us to know. We are now woven into the kingdom of God. And we are sons and daughters of the family. So, if you look at the picture of the family of God, there's one God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the rest of us are adopted. <laughs> but, but, but understand this, the only begotten Son chose to share his inheritance with us. 
you are co-heirs with Christ as you are seated in heavenly places. So even though we will never become God, we will never get there, we are adopted into that family, we were brought into that community, but we are going to inherit the exact inheritance that was given to Christ. He said, that I'm giving to you. I'm sharing that with you. That is what God is promising us. Now, let me, let me just, just want to do something here to give us an idea. Because you know, we struggle so much with understanding this because we, we're so focused on the world around us and the things around us. If I go here without electrocuting myself and I do this, don't tell them I did that. <laughs> and I say to you that, is your life in this earth. And this wall is eternity. Like, hello, how about catching a focus here? Where should you invest in? What should you hope for? What do you dream about? And, and you know, it's even more. This wall is a certainty. There will be no more death, no more tears, no more suffering, no more divorce, no more child abuse, no more wars, no more hunger and diseases and pandemics. It's guaranteed. In this miserable little dot that I've made to you, there's no guarantee that lunchtime you'll still be here. And yet, somehow, we still push as much as we can into that dot. And I like say, like, go and get a financial advisor and ask him if, you, if you're wise in what you're doing. It's completely, it exposes us. It really does expose us. What do we really believe? Remember last night, I asked the question, what do you want? What do you believe? I think we should read Hebrews 11 at least once a month. Like, meditate upon it. We are sojourners on our way. We are on a journey. We are foreigners. We are citizens of the kingdom who happen to be born in the United States. That's as far as it goes. This is not our home. Okay, so far, so good. Are we okay? Okay, can I go a bit further? Now, I want to speak to us a little bit about the mystical union with Christ. Because we heard now that Jesus said, I'm in a Father, the Father in me, and I'm in you. Last night we spoke about the crazy concept. You know, when I speak about that in Africa, where the big man is, is very relevant, you know, the chief, the king, the whatever. When I speak to them, I explain to them this way. Surely, if God lives over there, and He holds all the treasures, and we live on this side, surely we should go and knock on His door, and wait outside, and hope today He might see us. Surely that's the, the logical way. But, but this, is, this is so upside down. It's like Jesus repeatedly said, if you open, I will come, and me and my Father 
will come and eat with you. You know, eating in a Hebrew is intimate. In a Zulu culture, when you become friends with somebody and you really, really become close friends, like really close, then you would invite him to your house and you'll have a, a piece of wood and in the middle of the wood you would carve out a hole. And then your wife would come and you will sit on this side, the guy will sit on that side, then your wife would come and she'll put the food in that hole. And then you'll say to the guy, let's eat. And then you'll put your hands together in the same hole where the food is and you'll share and you'll eat out of the same hole. And that is to say to that guy, I am so committed to our friendship. For me there's no difference. I feel totally safe with you. Jesus said, I will come into you. I will come and live in you. It's unbelievable. It's, I want to urge you guys, meditate upon this day and night. It will revolutionize your understanding and your relationship. <clears throat> if anybody asked me, describe God as George, I would say, he's a humble God. And I truly believe that when I'm going to meet this incredible mighty God, who's just, which means he does punish, but when I'm going to meet him, I am convinced that he, when I meet with him, and by the way, it's going to happen, when I meet with him, I'm going to feel like, why does he make me feel important? Have you ever met people like that? People that you look up at, and when you meet them, you can't understand why do they make you feel important. That's our God. That's the very core of our God. That's why Jesus became a servant, why he laid it down, why he went the extra mile. He taught us over and over. And if that is the way of Jesus, then the way of the world, the way of Lucifer, is the opposite way. Lucifer, why was he thrown out of heaven? Pride, status, power. I hope you can hear my heart. <laughs> I want to urge all of us, let's not Christianize that. Sometimes I listen to what we say about our children. I want you to meet Johnny. He's my son. You know, Johnny came first in his class. <laughs> Guys, it's bad. It's bad. No, I'm, I'm serious. It's bad. You put, you put your love is conditional. And you know what? Johnny listened to you and he said, okay, my dad loves me as long as I'm first. God forbid I ever come second. Because God is his love. How can you portray a father who loves the Samaritan woman? If you say, this is my son, and he came first. I mean, of course, in your heart, you will be very happy when he comes first. Can you see how we've Christianized the world's kingdom? And we bring it in. <laughs> I spoke to somebody yesterday, and I said, I can even say, guys, I'm so happy I got a great promotion. Actually, it means now that me and my family can move into a little bit of a better neighborhood. Like, serious? What does better neighborhood mean? Where people like you? Where there are less poor people? Those, those people that we don't like? A, a better neighborhood? 
I saw John 1.14 said, So and the word became flesh, and the flesh moved into our neighborhood. He moved into your neighborhood, and you lived in the ghettos. <laughs> I'm just honest. <laughs> I want to move into a better neighborhood. <laughs> it's, in my, it's deep in my core. You know what I mean? I've got to, I've got to ask God, renew me, renew me. Give me that heart, give me that heart. Because man, if, if the owner of this place say, hey George, you want to come and live here? <laughs> I would love to come and live here. <laughs> but we shouldn't allow each other to get away with those things. Because our Savior moved into our ghettos. Why do we all want to move into better neighborhoods? Let's ask the hard questions. So that our children can grow up and see the real God. So we talk about the mystical union that we have with Jesus. Um, we read in a number of places in the New Testament, we read this, these words roughly like this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Okay, we've, we've seen that in a number of places. Now, that belief in, there can be two meanings. One could be in, as in in, and the other meaning could be into. And I want to ask this question to each one of us, because actually in those sentences it meant into. So I want to ask you to have an imagination with me now, okay? It, it's something like this. There's a circle, and Jesus is in a circle. We live in the world. And, and the Bible is saying, if you believe into the circle, you'll be saved. Friends, it's, it's got huge implications. Because it means we step out of another kingdom. We walk away, we walk through the door, through the gate. We go, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So he's the gate, and we walk into the circle. And when we are in a circle, we are in a new community. There's a community living there, and there's a circle, and that's why we live holy lives. We are called to live holy lives, which means separate lives. We are called to say, no, I want to go into Jesus. I don't just believe in Jesus. The demons believe in Ashara. That's not what it means. It means, are you prepared to walk away from your culture? Are you prepared to walk away from the way that your heart is desiring and the things that the peer pressure is on you and to step into a new kingdom? That's what it means that the Bible says, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. You'll be saved from what? Where you are now. <laughs> You've got to get out of there and into God's kingdom. And once you take that step into the kingdom, once you are in that circle, then you are in Christ. Then that mystical union happens. And that's why, friends, I know this is kind of foreign for us to hear, but you know the day Carolyn and I stepped out of our circle, out of our world, and we stepped into the circle, we realized that day that the family of God are more important now to us and our own family who are outside the circle. That's just how it is. 
Because we are now in an eternal family. We are in a family that we're going to be with for eternity. And that's why it's so important, if we understand that, that we've got to build that breaches between those who are outside and bring them in, call them in, ask them to come in. Surely if we don't reach out to our family and friends and people around us, if it's okay for us that they don't believe and we just carry on, are we really in the circle? Do we really understand? That we're inside that circle. That spiritual union has huge implications on how we live. Huge. I mean, you understand. I don't have to contextualize it for you. If I take you tomorrow, you fly with me back to Africa, and you go and live in Africa, okay? It will have huge implications in how you live. If you stepped into that circle, it should have radical implications in how you live, how you do your budget, how you look at things, what you say no to, what you say yes to, how you turn your back on things and say never again. How you go to the extreme not to be tempted on your phone to get onto things that you should not get onto because you are in. It doesn't mean you're not tempted. It means that you reject that. You will pull the eye, your eye out if you have to. You'll throw your phone away if you have to. Not because you want to, but because the pull, the love, the God, the Father's heart is stronger than any other temptation. That's why when we struggle with sin, when we fight, the thing to do is to run and make sure that you're in that circle. Inside that circle, we can resist the devil. We can stand against the things that the world is throwing at us. So, what does it mean for us to be in the circle? What does it mean to our lives? Seven words. I take it from 1 John 4, 8, 19. Seven words. We love because He loved us first. We love because He loved us first. Now many, many people in Africa disappoint us consistently, <coughs> our people, because they are pastors or school principals, or you know, people with power and the, the community look up at them and then they find out that there was abuse happening and things like that. And so many people come to me, they say, George, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> what, can, can you just grab me some water, please? What is the one thing that you can help us to, to look at somebody's character? How do we know? Because even in your culture, right, in the last few years, we've seen big names come down. So we need to learn to discern. Well, the one thing I always say to them is don't be impressed by the gifts because God gives the gifts to everybody. Don't let the gift impress you. Thank you.
Don't be impressed by the charisma or the signs and the wonders or anything like that. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love. What is love? Love is patient. When you deal with somebody that's consistently, all of us have off days, but consistently impatient. Question. Question. Love is patient, love is kind. We spoke about kindness on Thursday night. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. When you are around people and you always walk on eggs, be careful. Doesn't matter how many gifts you see and how be careful. But one of the biggest signs for me, maybe I'm biased, but I don't think so. <laughs> <coughs> Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> no, no. Has that person got compassion? I want you to ask yourself that question. Compassion is a Latin word. It, it means to to suffer with somebody, to choose to suffer with. You are prepared to go without. You're prepared to let go. You're prepared to walk the extra mile. You're prepared to make somebody's misery your problem. I've heard many times people say, I'm not like Mother Teresa. I don't have compassion. The ministry of compassion. Listen, Jesus looked at the crowd and he had compassion. And by the way, that's when he said, the harvest is white, but the workers are few. He, he looked at people that were harassed and, and beaten up and weary and, and downtrodden. And that's when he said, the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. But it said, it explained Jesus here, he had compassion. Compassion is not for Mother Teresa or for Auntie Susie that makes soup on a Thursday night. No. If you don't have compassion in your heart, honestly, guys, you've got to seriously go and ask Jesus to show you. All of us should be overflowing with compassion. Because compassion was shown to us. So we love because he first loved us. The cross is Mount Moriah without restraint. Last night I spoke about Hosea. Remember, I, I just kind of described the book and I said how Hosea was told to, to marry a prostitute. And just such an incredible picture of our father. <laughs> I just, sometimes I read it and I say, God, you don't have to go that far. It's like, just, oof, your love is just unbelievable. Listen to Hosea 11, verse 8. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over? How can I make you like Adam? Ad, Adma, sorry. How can I treat you like Sibuim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender.
It's only in Jesus that our hearts will turn to our Father and that we will see the world like He does and compassion will start flowing through us. You know the Dead Sea is dead because there's no outflow and you know that once there will be a new, it will, once it starts flowing, it will come back to life. That's a good news, right? We heard last night about a hard heart and a soft heart. And God said, I'll give you a soft heart that can pump. And the blood can flow and life can come. So we know that once we're in a circle, there's a specific posture. There's a posture outside the circle. Dog eats dog. Upward mobility. I am the best. I must do what is good for me. I must protect me. Sometimes we add other names to justify. We say, well, I've got to look after me and my family. It's like really, by trotting on other families? Like, seriously, don't, let's not get away with words. It's actually just about you when I say those words. So that's the posture outside. But inside the circle, there's a completely different posture. First of all, it's outward looking. It doesn't look inward. It's outward looking. Outside the circle, everybody's inward looking. And that's where cancer comes from. The body eats the body, right? And so outside the circle, we eat each other. We trash each other. We cancel each other. We hurt each other. This morning, as I was in my quiet time, a thought came to me, um, I'm not doubting, okay? But I, I was saying to God, Lord, you know what? Even if, if one day I die, I realize there was nothing, like there's no heaven or anything, I wouldn't choose any other way than the way that you taught me. Because honestly, if I look at my life, and I look at the life of the people I know who don't follow you, my life is still a million times better than theirs. Because I don't harm people. I don't go, I discovered the joy of serving people, loving people, caring for people. So, it is the right way to go. So, we know the posture, it's a posture of a servanthood. So, I want you to watch a, a video with me quickly. It's about Goma, it's a community called Katembe. It's high up in the mountains. Actually, we you go past six villages to get to Katembe. Katembe is higher than the volcano in Goma. So when I sleep in Katembe, I look down into the volcano. And I want you to see, it was just one day, as the sun was going down, I stood somewhere and I just took my phone like this and I shot off my hip. And sometimes I get, a, I get something that makes sense. And I want you to catch Remember I spoke to you about Jesus, looked at the people and he saw that they were harassed and he had compassion on them. It's easy for us to see it in other cultures. It's harder for us to see it in our own culture. So I want you to see it in another culture. And I want you to ask God to show you the people in your own culture also. They're coming from the fields. This is at the end of the day. Every day, just fighting to survive. 
every day going out there looking for hope that today they can find something to bring home. Nobody spared. Children, I met a child, Anna, she's five years old. She looks after four of her siblings while the mother goes out for the whole day. Five years old. Left alone from six to six. The first time I went to Katembe, I met Chantal. <laughs> this is her house. You can show me the house. Um, it's a photo after the... That's Chantal, where she lives. I met Chantal. She didn't actually live in Katembe. She lived outside Katembe. And I found her with two of her smallest children. And she was lying on a grass mat, burning up with fever, like this woman was critically ill. And she, I will never forget, the youngest child sat right at her head, and she had her hand on her mom's head. And I went into that hut and I sat next to them. And the child sat there holding on mom's head. You know, they see death every day. Every day. When they get malaria, they just wait to see what will happen. And as I sat there, I met Chantal. And we literally picked her up. And I carried her to the local clinic, which is just a hut like that. We turned it into a clinic. <laughs> I carried her there. And there's a Christian guy that is our nurse. His name is Sadiki. And I said to him, Sadiki, I want you to fight. You do whatever you can. I want you to fight for Chantal. Sadiki fought for her for about 10 days. We never knew if she was going to come through or not. And then I got the news that Chantal was recovered. She has recovered and she went back to her hut. And so the next morning, Bindu and I, we slept in the village at night. We got up early in the morning. Bindu, I said, we're going to go to Chantal's house. I had a bottle, a water bottle with me. The guys looked at me and they said, is that the water you're taking with? I said, yes. And they all just burst out laughing. I understood why they were laughing later on. We started walking and we walked for two hours. Chantal, after she was released from that clinic, with two babies on her back, walked that road back home. Guys, I was soup, soup wet when I got to that village. And as we approached the village, a, a woman started coming. She started running towards us and she shouted at the top of her voice. And I said to Bindu, what is she shouting about? And he said, this woman was shouting, they are coming, they are coming. And we walked into this village and we found Chantal's house. It was the poorest in a dirt, dirt poor village. I will never forget as we came to that hut and Chantal came out and she looked up and she saw us. <laughs> you know, guys, it's, it's moments like that that your faith gets cemented. It's moments like that that you know Jesus is alive. It's moments like that, that, that compassion, that your heart is too small. It's just running everywhere. She looked, she couldn't believe 
that she saw us. I mean, first of all, she was dying there and the strangers walked in. They picked her up and they carried her to a clinic and now they came to visit her at her house. And I mean, call it a house. And we sat outside that hut with Chantal and her husband and their three kids. And slowly the community started coming. And they started sitting in a half moon around us. And we did holy home visit. You know what a holy home visit is? A holy home visit is just inviting people to come into the circle. It's just like getting them to peep through the window of the circle and to see inside a father who loves, to see a Jesus who saves, and to see people that shouldn't be there, people that should go and fight for themselves and be arrogant and push because all those people lost their land. All of them. The warlords took every piece of land from them. They've been abused for 20 years now. Ethnic cleansing. 800,000 people were killed there. These people have got no rights, no hope, and suddenly, one day, people walk in there and they cared for them. They picked them up. They paid their bill at the clinic. And then the audacity to come to their house. <clears throat> now, I need to be careful what I say. <laughs> I want to tell you, guys, if you don't go into each other's homes, you are so poor. You are so poor. And, and it's not about having a massive meal ready for each other. It's just about sitting in a kitchen around the table and drinking coffee and telling each other about life and pray for each other and being together. We are called to do that. And I went into that house and I sat there and we started sharing Jesus. People started crying. You know, we built a bridge in a village that's never seen a school before. And I can say to you, I saw, I saw Chantal's husband powerfully coming to Jesus right there in front of me. Like Bindu ministering over this guy. I saw the Holy Spirit over him weeping in repentance. I saw the whole village watching, dead silence. And the word came into the village. The word came into the village. Guys, that's your call. That's your call. You can taste this all the time. Your katembe is your schools, it's your work, it's your hospital, it's the places around you. Is it tough? Is it hostile? Yes. You know, every time we go to Katembe, <clears throat> we're in real danger. Like, I mean, real danger. And it's not that we are brave. I'm not brave. But something bigger than my fears is my compassion and my love for my father and for his people. And so every time I get on that motorbike and we hit up the mountains, sometimes we have close shaves, sometimes people want to harm us. But God protects us. And even if He doesn't, what else do I want to do? Go and fight for myself? Go and push myself higher and make more? 
when I can reach out to the Chantals, when I can see whole villages seeing the light and know that the angels are rejoicing in heaven? Okay, enough. <laughs> Thank you for being gracious to me. So I want to ask you this question. Are you spiritually aware of your environment in the inner circle? Are you actually in the inner circle? And have you looked around the inner circle lately at the posture of the different people? What is your posture right now in the inner circle? If somebody that's standing in a, in a circle must describe you, what will they say? On a daily basis, how often do you make time to be close to your father and those whom you love and long for? Is your father's business your business? Is his goals your goals? Is his dreams your dreams? Where do you invest? When we're going to leave here tomorrow, we hit the rat race on Monday. Nobody can force you to do anything. What's going to be your priorities? He will give you a new heart. Do you want that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love for us. While we were still sinners, <laughs> you loved us. I thank you. I thank you for everybody here this morning. I bless them. I speak your life over them. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll continue to work in everybody's heart. May we be in an inner circle. May our posture be the same posture as Jesus. May we become like Jesus more and more every day. In Jesus' name, Amen.